Section five of A Dog of Flanders. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. A Dog of Flanders by Ouida. Section five. Now he had a secret which only Patrasche knew. There was a little outhouse to the hut, which no one entered but himself. A dreary place, but with abundant clear light from the north. Here he had fashioned himself rudely an easel in rough lumber, and here on a great gray sea of stretched paper he had given shape to one of the innumerable fancies which possessed his brain. No one had ever taught him anything. Colors he had no means to buy. He had gone without bread many a time to procure even the few rude vehicles that he had there, and it was only in black or white that he could fashion the things he saw. This great figure which he had drawn here in chalk was only an old man sitting on a fallen tree, only that. He had seen old Michel the woodman sitting so at evening many a time. He had never had a soul to tell him of outline or perspective, of anatomy or of shadow, and yet he had given all the weary, worn-out age, all the sad, quiet patience, all the rugged, careworn pathos of his original, and given them so that the old lonely figure was a poem, sitting there, meditative and alone, on the dead tree, with the darkness of the descending night behind him. It was rude, of course, in a way, and had many faults, no doubt, and yet it was real, true in nature, true in art, and very mournful, and in a manner beautiful. Patrach had lain quiet countless hours watching its gradual creation, after the labor of each day was done, and he knew that Nello had a hope, vain and wild perhaps, but strongly cherished, of sending this great drawing to compete for a prize of two hundred francs a year, which it was announced in Antwerp, would be open to every lad of talent scholar or peasant, under eighteen, who would attempt to win it with some unaided work of chalk or pencil. Three of the foremost artists in the town of Rubens were to be the judges, and elect the victor according to his merits. All the spring and summer and autumn Nello had been at work upon this treasure, which, if triumphant, would build him his first step toward independence and the mysteries of the art which he blindly, ignorantly, and yet passionately adored. He said nothing to anyone. His grandfather would not have understood, and little Alois was lost to him. Only to Patrache he told all, and whispered, "'Rubens would give it me, I think, if he knew.' Patrach thought so, too, for he knew that Rubens had loved dogs, or he had never painted them with such exquisite fidelity. 
and men who loved dogs were, as Patrach knew, always pitiful. The drawings were to go in on the first day of December, and the decision be given on the twenty-fourth, so that he who should win might rejoice with all his people at the Christmas season. In the twilight of a bitter wintry day, and with a beating heart, now quick with hope, now faint with fear, Nello placed the great pitcher on his little green milk cart, and took it, with the help of Patrach, into the town, and there left it, as enjoined, at the doors of a public building. "'Perhaps it is worth nothing at all. How can I tell?' he thought, with the heart-sickness of a great timidity. Now that he had left it there, it seemed to him so hazardous, so vain, so foolish, to dream that he, a little lad with bare feet, who barely knew his letters, could do anything at which great painters, real artists, could ever deign to look. Yet he took heart as he went by the cathedral. The lordly form of Reuben seemed to rise from the fog and the darkness, and to loom in its magnificence before him, whilst the lips, with their kindly smile, seemed to him to murmur, "'Nay, have courage!' It was not by a weak heart and by faint fears that I wrote my name for all time upon Antwerp. Nello ran home through the cold night, comforted. He had done his best. The rest must be as God willed, he thought, in that innocent, unquestioning faith which had been taught him in the little gray chapel among the willows and the poplar trees. The winter was very sharp already. That night, after they reached the hut, snow fell, and fell for very many days after that, so that the paths and the divisions in the fields were all obliterated, and all the smaller streams were frozen over, and the cold was intense upon the plains. Then, indeed, it became hard work to go round for the milk, while the world was all dark, and carry it through the darkness to the silent town. Hard work, especially for Patrach, for the passage of the years, that were only bringing Nello a stronger youth, were bringing him old age, and his joints were stiff and his bones ached often. But he would never give up his share of the labor, Nello would fain have spared him and drawn the cart himself, but Patrach would not allow it. All he would ever permit or accept was the help of a thrust from behind to the truck as it lumbered along through the ice ruts. Patrach had lived in harness, and he was proud of it. He suffered a great deal sometimes from frost and the terrible roads, and the rheumatic pains of his limbs. But he only drew his breath hard and bent his stout neck and trod onward with steady patience. Rest thee at home, Patrach. It is time thou didst rest. And I can quite well push in the cart by myself, urged Nello many a morning. But Patrach, 
who understood him aright, would no more have consented to stay at home than a veteran soldier to shirk when the charge was sounding. And every day he would rise and place himself in his shafts and plod along over the snow through the fields that his four round feet had left their print upon so many, many years. One must never rest till one dies, thought Patrasche, and sometimes it seemed to him that that time of rest for him was not very far off. His sight was less clear than it had been, and it gave him pain to rise after the night's sleep, though he would never lie a moment in his straw when once the bell of the chapel tolling five let him know that the daybreak of labor had begun. "'My poor Patrasche, we shall soon lie quiet together, you and I,' said old Yehandas, stretching out to stroke the head of Patrasche with the old withered hand, which had always shared with him its one poor crust of bread. And the hearts of the old man and the old dog ached together with one thought, when they were gone, who would care for their darling? One afternoon, as they came back from Antwerp over the snow, which had become hard and smooth as marble over all the Flemish plains, they found dropped in the road a pretty little puppet, a tambourine player, all scarlet and gold, about six inches high, and unlike greater personages when fortune lets them drop, quite unspoiled and unhurt by its fall. It was a pretty toy. Nello tried to find its owner, and, failing, thought that it was just the thing to please Alois. It was quite night when he passed the mill-house. He knew the little window of her room. It could be no harm, he thought, if he gave her his little piece of treasure-trove. They had been playfellows so long. There was a shed with a sloping roof beneath her casement. He climbed it and tapped softly at the lattice. There was a little light within. The child opened it and looked out half-frightened. Nello put the tambourine player into her hands. "'Here is a doll I found in the snow, Alwa. Take it,' he whispered. "'Take it, and God bless thee, dear.' He slid down from the shed-roof before she had time to thank him, and ran off through the darkness. That night there was a fire at the mill. Outbuildings and much corn were destroyed, although the mill itself and the dwelling-house were unharmed. All the village was out in terror, and engines came tearing through the snow from Antwerp. The miller was insured and would lose nothing. Nevertheless, he was in furious wrath, and declared aloud that the fire was due to no accident but to some foul intent. Nello, awakened from his sleep, ran to help with the rest. Baz Cogez thrust him angrily aside. "'Thou wert loitering here after dark,' 
he said roughly. "'I believe, on my soul, that thou dost know more of the fire than anyone.' Nello heard him in silence, stupefied, not supposing that anyone could say such things except in jest, and not comprehending how anyone could pass a jest at such a time. Nevertheless, the miller said the brutal thing openly to many of his neighbors in the day that followed, and though no serious charge was ever preferred against the lad, it got brooded about that Nello had been seen in the mill-yard after dark on some unspoken errand, and that he bore Baz Cogez a grudge for forbidding his intercourse with little Alois. And so the hamlet, which followed the sayings of its richest landowner servilely, and whose families all hoped to secure the riches of Alois in some future time for their sons, took the hint to give grave looks and cold words to old Jehan Das's grandson. No one said anything to him openly, but all the village agreed together to humor the miller's prejudice, and at the cottages and farms where Nello and Patrasche called every morning for the milk for Antwerp, downcast glances and brief phrases replaced to them the broad smiles and cheerful greetings to which they had been always used. No one really credited the miller's absurd suspicion, nor the outrage accusations born of them, but the people were all very poor and very ignorant, and the one rich man of the place had pronounced against him. Nello, in his innocence and his friendlessness, had no strength to stem the popular tide. "'Thou art very cruel to the lad,' the miller's wife dared to say, weeping, to her lord. Sure he is an innocent lad and a faithful, and would never dream of any such wickedness, however sore his heart might be. But Baz Cogez, being an obstinate man, having once said a thing, held to it doggedly, though in his innermost soul he knew well the injustice that he was committing. Meanwhile, Nello endured the injury done against him with a certain proud patience that disdained to complain. He only gave way a little when he was quite alone with old Patrasche. Besides, he thought, if it should win, they will be sorry then, perhaps. End of section 5 Recording by Roger Moline